You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So today we're going to be walking through the book of John chapter 4. And as I was sketching out, kind of charting um, how I was going to be getting us through the first half of John, which is the series that we're in right now, Um, You know, you have to go and you have to divide up passages and find breaks. And occasionally you get a passage and you're like, that is a lot of words. Uh, And this week we got a long passage. We're going to be covering a a good bit uh, of John chapter 4 today. Um, So just buckle in as as we read a little bit. uh, And then we're going to see what God wants to say to you. We're going to start in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It's a familiar story for a lot of us. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard um, that Jesus was making uh, and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus didn't actually baptize only his disciples, uh, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about... The sixth hour, which is noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, uh, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy some food. And the Samaritan woman uh, said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jesus, for Jews, sorry, for Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of the water uh, of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Okay, so the story begins. Jesus is leaving uh, where he was at uh, because there's an impending persecution. John himself had gotten uh, arrested, uh, likely, and Jesus feeling a little bit of heat and tension. The Pharisees um, getting a little more upset with those who followed after John and was similar to John. Um, Jesus decides, I'm going to go to where a a new place to do more ministry. And he goes through Samaria. Now, now we are not Old Testament experts, but what happened in the Old Testament um, was the, the nation of Israel was divided into two chunks. Um, you had the northern and the southern. Kind of a civil war happened after Solomon um, passed away, divided into two nations. And the southern chunk is known as Judah throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And the northern chunk keeps the name of Israel. Um, and the northern chunk was, uh, was, was trying their best to distance themselves um, for their, from their Judah neighbors in the south. So they set up their own temples and their own worship systems, their own capitals, to draw everything away from Jerusalem, right? They wanted to have a different 
kingdom, a different center of worship. And so they set this up in Samaria, uh, and they had the golden calf. They had two different golden calves they set up, and people would go and worship and offer sacrifices there. And then in like the year 722 B.C., um, the Assyrian Empire, who was the world power at the time, invades the northern kingdom of Israel, conquers them, and totally eliminates them. Right? Uh, and the way the Assyrian Empire handled their business was when they conquered a place, instead of like leaving some people there to run the place for them, they would bring people with them from all the other places they had conquered, and they would all throw them in there, and they would take people from who, who lived there and then scatter them across their empire. And so it was a tough uh, way to do things because the culture all got lost in the midst of this intermarrying and forced moves. And so the nation of Israel um, became Assyrian property, uh, and there became this kind of like weird religious uh, syncretism that went on between the nations that Assyria had already conquered and the Israelite nation, which was already kind of wayward in their worship. Uh, and so the Samaritans came from that. That's where their, their backstory is. And the Jewish people lived in Judah, Jew, Judah, that's why. Um, they lived in Judah, and, and they looked at the Assyrian kind of like conquested Samaritan people and said, we don't want to have anything to do with them. They're kind of half-breeds. Right? They're not pure. They did. They worshipped. Right? They, they believed in the Old Testament. The Samaritans followed the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, they, they did not believe in the historical writings, uh, Samuels and some of the prophets as well, because those were very focused on Judah um, and David and his line. But they believed in the Old Testament. They believed in Moses and Jacob. You hear this woman talk about Jacob and Jacob as well. Right? They, were, they had a faith that was founded on biblical principles, but they were uh, really far off from the full truth that God had revealed uh, through David and now continuing through Jesus. They didn't have anything to do with each other. But Jesus is having to go through this town. He sits down at a well. He's tired. It's about noon. The sun is starting to get hot. He's been journeying for a while. His disciples go into town to get food, and he's stuck sitting at this well. And this woman comes up, uh, and, she, and she's coming to draw water for herself. That's just what they do, right? You have to get water to make it through the day. So she's getting her water, uh, and, and, she's, and Jesus is like, Hey, I would like some water as well. And immediately she's like, You aren't supposed to talk to me, right? We are not supposed to talk. We aren't supposed to have anything to do with each other. I don't know why you're doing this. And Jesus goes into the diatribe about, Well, you should probably be asking me for what I just asked you because I have something better to give you. But what I want to focus on on this section here is what Jesus chose to do. Right? Jesus uh, right, could have waited for his disciples to return. They returned briefly in the story not far from here. Right? And I'm sure that somehow they could have found a way to get water out of that well if they needed it or maybe one of them uh, had some water for him to drink. But Jesus chose in that moment to interact with this person from Samaria. This woman whose history we'll find out later was less than ideal from a people that is less than ideal and Jesus chooses to interact with her. Right? He could have not done that. We we do that, right? We have that opportunity on a regular basis and we look at somebody and we're like, yeah, I'm not going to have that conversation with that person. And there's a hundred reasons why we don't do it, right? There's a hundred and, and sometimes it's race. Right? In this case, it's a racial thing. The Samaritans were of a different 
race than the Jewish people. Sometimes it's socioeconomic status. We look at them and we're like, I don't think that we're going to have much in common. And sometimes, like, it's, it's they're a mess, right? It's not, it has nothing to do with their race. It has nothing to do uh, with the socioeconomic status. It's everything to do with the fact that their life just, they walk into the room and you're like, that person is a disaster, right? And we know these people, right? They walk right here down the highway, right? We look at them like, whoa, that person's life is not together right now, right? We know they're, they're here, but Jesus sought that person. The person who knew as soon as he started talking, you shouldn't be talking to me. Or that's not the way that we usually handle things. Jesus's eyes were set on the others of society. He looked at the people who didn't fit inside of the world that, that, that was currently constructed, and he said, I'm going to go to that person. That Samaritan woman would have never spoken to Jesus. She never would have opened her mouth and said, hey, can I get you some water? Because he was a Jewish man, and she was a Samaritan woman, and there's all sorts of social mores that are going to be broken if she talks to him. Right? All sorts of silent rules um, that have been made up culturally. And she knows that she can't break those, and Jesus doesn't care. Because Jesus cares about other people. I want to tell you something about the church that God has left to the world today. We are to care for those other people. You know, there's, there's a church growth movement uh, was really big back in the 80s. You see, you saw churches like this that, that expanded massively. And there's all sorts of like pragmatic rules to help your church grow. Keep the flower beds nice, keep the grass well maintained, and then focus your attention on people like you. Right? Because it's easy to bring people into a room to be with people like them. It's just easier, right? Because we have something in common immediately. Like, oh, I'm a school teacher. You're a school teacher. Now we have something to talk about, right? Like, I'm a this. You're a that. Now we have a, a common ground to stand on. But this community that we're in does not look like First Baptist Rockdale. Y'all may not know this. Y'all may be totally unaware of the community that we're in, but it does not look like this. Uh, I, was, I was dealing with the school district on some stuff uh, a couple weeks ago uh, with another pastor friend of mine. Uh, Rockdale, Texas, in the schools, 55% of the students in the schools are Hispanic. 55% of the students at Rockdale schools, K through 12, are Hispanic. On any given Sunday, First Baptist Church Rockdale is what percent Hispanic? The number is much closer to zero much closer. Sometimes it is zero. That's a problem, church. Now, why is it that that's happened? Well, you know, Hispanics are Catholic, right? That's a, that's a pragmatic explanation, right? They all go across the street over there. They have a service for them. There's a Spanish service going on right now, I think, honestly. I think they're, they're doing their Spanish service immediately, right? So, like, oh, they go to the Catholic church or whatever. The truth is, the reason that there's a uh, an underrepresentation of Hispanics at First Baptist Church Rockdale is because we've never reached out to minister to them here intentionally. We've started Hispanic Church, First Baptist Church, uh, the Iglesia Bautista, uh, Primera Iglesia Bautista, started back in the 50s, um, thereabouts, um, just down Ackerman or Maine. Those streets run together in my mind. I can't tell you which is which, just, just up that way a little bit. 
um, came out of us as a mission of this church. It was a Hispanic mission church. I've gone through the church records and, and looked up this for reasons that don't matter today. Right? So we have, it's not like we've totally neglected the Hispanic population as a church. But, but we haven't ministered to them faithfully, fruitfully, maybe faithfully, fruitfully. How do I know that? Because they're not here. Right? If we were faithful, if we were fruitful, if there was actually purposeful ministry, if half of all students are Hispanic in our schools, like that, roughly, that would correlate to the town, roughly. Right? But they're not here. So we've got a problem. We have to begin to recognize there are others outside of here, and it can be uncomfortable. Church ceases to be what you want it to be. I went to school, uh, and, and I had a, a professor named uh, Rodney Wu. W-O-O. That's a great name to yell, by the way. Woo! Right? Uh, that's my basketball cheer for my, my junior high girls' basketball. They, they love it. But, uh, but Rodney Wu, Rodney Wu was a pastor at a church in Houston. Uh, and it was a, a white church in a Leaf area of Houston. Um, and all of a sudden, he looked at his community. If you know a Leaf, which some of you might know the a Leaf area, a Leaf used to be a really nice kind of suburb of Houston, and like everything in, in town, like it changed. And it became very multicultural, multiracial, Hispanic, Korean, like everything was all in A-Leaf. And almost all of the white people had moved out. Almost all of them, not all, but, but the vast majority had moved out. It was a white flight is a, is a term. And that had happened in A-Leaf, Texas. And he looked at his community and he said, we have to do something different. And so they changed their service. And his church service is chaotic. Right, because all of a sudden you have uh, worship, like someone standing up here leading in worship, and instead of the hymn that you like or the praise song that you like, uh, it's some sort of like song that would appeal to Koreans. And you're like, that's not my music. I don't like that. Right? Or, or something specifically for Hispanics. Right? It's maybe it's in Spanish. And you're like, I don't even speak Spanish. Right? And so, in, 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 Honestly, worship, I, I tell Doc this, like his job is the worst job on staff. Everyone has strong opinions about what Doc does. I could get up here, I could teach heresy. Most of you would not know. You, would, you might be tuned out enough that you would miss it. Right? And I, and I could preach heresy and I could get away with it. But if Doc gets up here and sings the wrong song or the wrong chorus or the words on the screen aren't quite right, everybody knows it. And everyone's got an opinion about it. Terrible job. Imagine that job, but instead of trying to appeal to a monolithic culture, trying to appeal to what is actually Rockdale, Texas, it would be tremendously difficult, Doc. I'm sorry about that. It would be so, so hard. But we're called to see the others in our community. Jesus saw this Samaritan woman and said, she's worthy of my attention. And so I'm going to engage her in a conversation about things that matter. He asked for water, but really he's trying to get into a conversation about what he has for her that's better than anything that she can imagine. She wants what he has, but she doesn't really understand it. Continuing on. The woman uh, says, give me this water. And Jesus says in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. Basically saying like, bring your husband and we'll all talk about how we can get this living water together. And the woman answered him, look, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, he said, you're right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now uh, isn't even your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman now quite embarrassed, I'm sure, said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem 
is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship uh, what you do not know. Uh, you, for you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is going to come from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the, that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when He comes, He'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, right? And so this, this woman uh, is like, hey, I want that water so I never have to draw water again. She's got this misunderstanding about what Jesus is offering. And Jesus says, well, bring your husband. And she's like, yeah, I don't have one, hoping that will diffuse the conversation. Because like, you ever get someone ask you a question, and you're like, if I answer this fully, I'm going to pull a lot of my dirty laundry all, out all at one time. Right? And I don't really need to get all my dirty laundry out right now. And so I'm going to answer the question, like, truthfully, but deceptively. Is that a thing? Can you be truthful and deceptive at the same time? I don't know. Probably not. Kids, the answer is no. You can't be truthful and deceptive at the same time. But we do it sometimes, right? We hedge our bets a little bit, and we're, I don't want to have that conversation. Let's answer it like this. And so she's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, I know. And, and then he just lays out her whole story. You've had five husbands. You're shacking up with a guy who's not your husband. And all of a sudden, she's like... Let's talk about mountains, right? Like all of a sudden, she's like, I want to change the subject altogether. You're a prophet. Let's talk about mountains. So you're going to worship on this mountain. I want to worship on this mountain. So the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem at the temple. Samaritans worship at a mountain called Mount Gerizim, um, where they had their temple set up. And she's like, which mountain are we supposed to worship at? And Jesus is like, I don't care about mountains. Right? Like, like, like you, 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 your focus is wrong. The traditions that we have set up, like salvation is going to come from the Jews. Jesus himself is a Jewish man bringing salvation to the world. He's like, he's like you don't know what you're worshiping. We do because salvation is going to come through us, me, Jesus, right? But there's coming a time, and it's right now, that, that, that you will need to stop focusing on the mountains and the locations to recognize God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and in truth. Today is a day to worship in spirit and in truth. And I was thinking about this idea that Jesus looked at the religious traditions of the day and said, these are not the area that I'm going to major on. Right? And I think that today we have picked those things right back up. Right? We love places. And it's okay to love a place, like to have a place that has like a, a significance to you. Like this, this building can be significant to you. Many of you have been to hundreds to thousands of services in this building. Some of you predate this building and still this place, like this, this block, this ground, right, has, has been meaningful to your spiritual formation for as long as you can remember. Maybe from your childhood, your early adulthood, this place, this, this block of Green Street in Rockdale, Texas, has meant so, so much to you. I'm not here to tell you that the place doesn't matter because it does, right? right? The, the building has as meaning and significance as long as we use it for the purposes that matter. But I will say the church can't get so caught inside of these uh, religious traditions 
these religious trappings that we lose sight of what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Right? Buildings can become an anchor for the work of Jesus Christ. Right, right, what we've constructed, what we've worked towards, what, what your parents and grandparents sacrificed to do in the past to build God's kingdom can become an anchor for today when it loses sight of what the purpose of the building is. When this place was constructed, it was constructed as a tool to bring salvation to Rockdale, Texas. That is why this building was built the way it was built. That is why this building was constructed the way it was constructed. Beautifully done. I mean, I do. I, I come in here, other than the windows, I have some issues with the windows, but other than the windows, I love this building. Some of you are looking at the windows for the first time like, oh, yeah. No, other than the window, everything, I love the high ceiling, I love the wood beams. I will stand in here, I have the privilege of being able to come in here anytime I want, and I'll stand here. This is my favorite place to be. Like, that's got to be egocentric it's got to be something in me right and just to look out like to take y'all don't get this view some of you uh, up here get it it's just different and then i'll go back there like stand dead center back there and look up and just take and i'm like man what a beautiful beautiful spot god has provided for this but buildings can become anchors for the work that god is doing when they when they get elevated to the wrong position Right? In, in, in Jewish culture, this idea of like this mountain, that mountain, this temple, like the Jews already told them, like, they're like, oh, this temple, and Jesus is like, I'll tear it down in three days and rebuild it. And they're like, ah, right? They've already freaked out about Jesus threatening to destroy the temple, right? right? The buildings have too much significance because people are what matter. Church, we cannot be held captive by religious traditions that prevent us from the work that God has before us, right? And I'm not about tearing this, but I've already, I, I, I think it's a wonderful building, and it can still be used for the purpose that it has. But if we cease to do the work of God because we're too busy maintaining the property that we've inherited, that's a problem. Church, our focus needs to be bigger than buildings and budgets and butts and seats. It needs to be on making disciples in this community that God has called us to be in. I believe that God did plant this church in Rockdale, Texas for a reason. I think God planted this church on the main drag in Rockdale, Texas for a reason. To stand as a beacon of hope for a place that is in total darkness. We stand as hope in a dark world. This building is not uh, the end of the story. Building programs sometimes feel like that. We're going to build a building. We're going to raise money. We're going to construct. We, 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 we paid off the building over there. We're going to construct this thing. We're going to do this thing. But that's not the end of the story, guys. It's not we've got it paid for. We're done. The end of the story is when Christ comes back and takes us home, and he says, well done, my good and faithful servants. You were entrusted with much, which you have been, and you were faithful with much. This is a talent or a mina that God has given to this community. And we have been entrusted with it to use it to bring about the salvation of this community. It's why we're here. So don't get held captive by we can't or we won't or we shouldn't or we've got to do things this way. Worship, right? Like, oh, we have to sing songs just like this. We can't do it like this. 
right? But drums, oh my goodness, why would someone play drums in a church, right? What a terrible, terrible, those fights that were happening 20 years ago, right? Probably in this building 20 years ago, fights like that were going on. We can't be, we, those are not the fights that we need to be having, right? We don't need to fight about those things because there are lost people going to hell in Rockdale, Texas. And if you're so concerned about the placement of, of, of the microphones or the pulpit or the communion table or the projector screens or the hymnals, your focus is wrong. You've been held captive by religious traditions and you've lost sight of why God has called us to be here, which is to make disciples. Continuing on, it says, um, Jesus then, verse 27, uh, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking uh, with a woman but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Because they're not idiots, right? Like, they're like, uh, yeah, we're not going to ask that question. They thought it, but they're like, we're not going to ask that question because Jesus probably doesn't need to hear that. So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come see this man who told me everything that I've ever did. Can this be the Christ which Jesus claimed to be? And then uh, they went out of the town and were coming to him at the well. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and the gathering for, and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true that one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, which is crazy to stay in this foreign country for two days. And many more believed, not only because of his word. Uh, it's not, uh, verse 42 says, uh, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Okay, so Jesus tells this woman he's the Christ, and she runs into town. She leaves her water jar behind, the thing that she had come to do. She leaves behind because she realizes there's a more urgent task than bringing water home. She has friends who need to meet this guy who claims to be the Christ, who knows her life better than anyone else, who's no longer focused on the religious trappings and the arguments that have held us captive for so long. She says, let's go meet this person. So she brings the town with her, or some of the town with her. And on the way, the disciples look at Jesus like, you have got to be hungry, it's lunchtime. And we, they, were in, they had gone into town to buy food, they had come back with the food, they said, hey, take something to eat. He's like, he's like, I have food that you don't know about. And all of a sudden, they're like, man, he's got food that we don't know about? Right? Jesus is holding out on us with food, he's got food over here in his pocket, and he didn't tell us. Probably had a Slim Jim, right? That's what he probably had, pulled out a Slim Jim, stepped right into it, right? I don't know. He probably didn't have a Slim Jim, by the way. I don't think processed meats were a thing at that time, okay? Uh, but, but, but they're like, what? He has food? And, and this is the whole story of John, right? Every, everybody that Jesus talks to in John doesn't understand anything Jesus is saying. Jesus is like, I'm going to tear down this temple. And they're like, what? 
Jesus is like, I have water. And she's like, what? She's like, I have food. They're like, huh? Like, none of these people understand anything. Jesus is saying, it's confusion to move the story forward. And so they're like, what is he talking about? And he's like, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Like, the thing that energizes me, the thing that I need to get through this day, is not the little food that you have over there. Right? The bread and the fish, and that's about to happen not long from now anyways. Like, that stuff, that is not what I need. The thing that moves me through the day is to do the will of the one who sent me. I'm here to do the Father's business. And you, he turns around, around, I'm on, you too are here to do that. He says, look up and see, there is work to be done to get your fill. He says, the field is white unto harvest. It is, it is harvest time. And he says, you guys didn't do the work to make this happen. Other people did the work. John the Baptist, in this case, did the work, prepared the people went ahead of Jesus, got things ready, and the disciples just walked in, and it was easy pickings. Jesus is the Messiah. People are like, we believe. And they're jumping on, they're jumping on. Because people went before him, right, to prepare the way. And here we are in a church that's almost 150 years old. And there have been saints that whole time through doing the work. And we stand behind them ready to pick what's left right god has used them i'm so thankful there's a there's a wall of pastors outside of my door i stare at it sometimes and i think whoo that's a lot of faces some of those guys look kind of shady too i'm not gonna lie one of them looks like a civil war general with a big beard kind of a michael lee style beard right looks looks like a civil war general i'm not sure he might have been by the way can't can't change the past right right one of them looks like an outlaw like it's a wanted poster of him a very sketchy looking dude one looks like a college president. I look, but I look at these guys, and they faithfully stood here, guiding this church, this community, towards gospel ministry. What a great legacy we have, right? We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the book of Hebrews tells us, who've gone before us to do the work for us. Some of our parents, right, served here, worked here, did work here to prepare for this day where the harvest is ready. Church, I'm telling you, there are people ready to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ from Rockville, Texas, and it's because of investment that others have made before us. We stand on the shoulders of giants to do the work that God has before us. So let's go and do it. Because we can't get caught. We can't get caught up in focusing on, is this the person that I should share with? Is this the type of person that would fit in this room we can't get caught and saying will this person mess up my religious traditions uh, are we gonna have to change what are what what we do on a sunday morning if a lot of these people come or we have to make some shifts are we gonna have to change the way we sing or we have to change the way we organize the service or what, what are we gonna have to do are there religious trappings that we're so worried about are we gonna have to 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 to, to worry about fixing something in the space the building that matters so much, right? Are we going to have to fix it or change it? We get held captive by those thoughts. Because there is work to do, right? right? Jesus knew that his goal was ultimately God's goal. He made sure that God's goal was always in front of any human desires that he had. And that must be the, the, the goal of the church, right? That God's goals have to supersede ours. What you want for First Baptist Church Rockdale is less important than what God wants for Rockdale, Texas. Right? What you desire for
for your life is less important than what God is desiring to do in your community around you for, for the gospel. And we have to learn how to submit our dreams and our hopes and our ambitions and our preferences underneath what God has already claimed to be the most important thing. The field is white unto harvest. We are to go and to, to reap that harvest. But the harvest may not look like you. Are you okay with that? If you were to come here six months from now and the congregation was 55% Hispanic, are you okay with that? Are you okay being a minority racially in your church like you are in your town? Are you okay if it's 30% and things have to change to help accommodate so that their worship can be more meaningful? Will you, will you make those accommodations? Are you willing to change what we do Sunday morning? Right? Some people may actually want to hear longer preaching. God bless them. Saints. Some religious traditions, longer preaching. Rising Star Baptist Church, roll, roll. They'll be going for a while right now. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to adapt to recognize that what God is doing to bring about the salvation of this community Right? It may change some things. And I'm not asking you to be comfortable with every possible outcome out there because, like, I'm not comfortable with every possible outcome out there. It, 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 like, we all have things, sacred cows, that we have a tough time slaying. But my belief is, as I've examined this community, I've been here for uh, six years, so next, two weeks from now, maybe, I'll be six years, um, as I've examined this community, as there's a need for us to reach the people that are here. Not the people we wish were here. Right? We don't need to fight for every football coach that moves into town or every English teacher that moves into town. Right? Like, there are people already here. Live their whole lives in darkness. Maybe they were confirmed across the street, but they, they, they don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that field is white to harvest. So are you willing to let God's goal supersede your goals, or are you still stuck on holding on to what you think things have to be like to make you comfortable? I understand the tension. I, do, I respect the tension. But guys, we're going to live in some tension. It's okay. It's okay to live in some tension. God has called us to the edge. Because we're here for the others that are already here. Guys, our singular focus as a church must be on God's work here. And if this community has changed, we must change. And so we look at how we can meet these people. The focus of this church, singular focus, needs to be on what God is doing and will do. Because the purpose of this church is to make disciples. It's not to make disciples that look like you. It's not to make disciples that look like me. It's not to make disciples who, who can think like you think or reason like you reason. It's to be a hospital to rescue the perishing and to care for the dying. If you don't see that in Rockdale, Texas, I, I, I invite you, on your way home today, drive out of your way 
just go that way. Just go. Go drive six blocks that way. Wander that way. Go over there. Wander around. Head, head down towards Walmart. And as you look, you'll see RV parks stationed up where people are permanently living. What are those people on Sunday morning? What are those people in their relationship with Jesus Christ? How can we touch them with the gospel? God's work is the only work that matters, ultimately. And so our singular focus needs to be on his work here, now. Not our comfort, or our ease, or our reputation. There's something better, church. There's something bigger. Let's go get it.